it was a real privilege to be in Nicaragua when we arrived to our last evening. We were going to circle up on this really awesome porch with these rocking chairs, and we were going to kind of reflect on what God had done, and we all got there together, and then suddenly there was this massive, massive thunderstorm. And I mean, unlike I've ever experienced in my life, the skies were lighting up, the rain was pounding, and it was like the Lord was like, I got it, I got it tonight, here's the Devo. We all just turned our chairs and watched the skies for a few hours as God just showed off in his power and just kind of spoke to us about what we'd experienced in Nicaragua. It was really beautiful. Our church will be taking more teams. Our goal is to do two teams a year, so we would love for you to consider, start asking the Lord now if he um, has it for you, for your family, to go and experience Nicaragua. Okay, with that, we are gonna continue in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew 6. This is gonna tie really well with what you just heard on the stage because we're gonna talk about storing up treasure. And so let me read for you the scripture, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Let's just take a moment, as we always do, before we jump in to the sermon of silence, to pause, to be still, to breathe slowly, and just recenter our scattered senses upon the presence of God. Lord Jesus, come be glorified this morning, we pray. Amen. Well, God totally wrecked me this week as I was preparing for this sermon. I was earlier this week um, surrounded by all kinds of commentaries and books, and I was sitting down on the couch at my daughter Maddie and her husband Caleb's house, and I'm, I'm like praying, okay, Lord, like just give me words for this sermon, right? And, and, and I start to open the commentaries, and I just feel the Spirit tap me on the shoulder. Like, hey, you need to deal with what these verses say first. I was like, listen, I need to preach on Sunday. <laughs> I got limited time here, Lord. We're going to work on the sermon. So, I, so I'm jumping back in. I'm trying to study, and the Holy Spirit's like, you need to deal with what's in these verses. And I was like, listen, Lord, I'm going Full force sermon. So I, I, I just, in stubbornness, have you ever done this with the Lord? It's like he's talking to you, you're like, not now, I got this job. So, so I'm like, not now. So, so I start doing some cross-reference scripture, um, you know, looking at where else is God talking about riches, what's going on? And the Lord takes me to the book of um, Micah, and I'm in Micah 3. And God's talking to the Israelites here. And this is what it says. I am God, yes, I am, and I haven't changed. And because I haven't changed, 
you descendants of Jacob haven't been destroyed. You have a long history of ignoring my commands. You haven't done a thing that I've told you. Return to me so I can return to you, says God. And they say, but how do we return? And God says, by being honest. And then he asks this question. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. And you ask, how have we robbed you? The tithe and the offering, that's how. And now you're under a curse. I mean, at this point, I'm like, you got my attention, Lord. Okay, speak to me. Now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Bring your full tithe and offering to the temple treasury so that there will be ample provision in the temple. And then what I do think is the only place where the Lord invites uh, testing. He says, test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. These past seven or eight months have been trying months in our household. We have had unique circumstances. And I'm the one in our home who handles the finances. And so my husband, Christian, and I sit down and do a regular touch base, but I'm the one paying the bills and kind of managing what's going on. And in the, in the midst of us having some trying circumstances, we also had um, several, um, more than five, of the places where we would give our money Um, no longer need financial contribution or missionaries come off the field or people change jobs. And so those regular regular deductions from our account weren't happening. And I knew it. I knew it. And I knew, at first I was like, oh, okay, we need to think about where we're going to reallocate this money, right, this treasure. Um, And as, as trying circumstances continued, and as Christian and I weren't doing our regular check-ins, and as I started to feel a little bit out of control, I just kind of started to not reallocate that money. I just, I just kept it. It, was, it wasn't like one big decision, like, oh, well, we're done with this. It was like little, small disobedience after little, small disobedience. And so the Lord met with me powerfully to say, you know, you know what I'm asking of you. Listen to me, God does not need my money, right? But he wants my heart and he's practical enough to know often our hearts follow our money. So he's like, you know what I'm asking of you. I knew right then, I mean, I just aligned myself with the spirit and I was like, yes, Lord. And I knew that the first step was I was to get on my knees, literally on my knees, and I was just to pray, and I was to confess, and I was to make it right. So I'm in my daughter's house. It's a small house, and she's working from home, and one of my sons is on the couch, and I'm like, well, where am I going to pray? I'll go down to their basement. It's like this concrete floor basement. It's like, well, and literally as I'm walking down to the basement, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to kill my knees, and I should have grabbed a pillow. Um, Oh, Lord, I wish I had like a cushioned pad. So I get down into the basement, and I mean, right there in front of the washing machine is this like, you know, one of those thick cushion pads that people stand on. And I was like, thank you. It was like the sweetness of the Lord. He's like, listen, I've gone before you. I know what you need. So I was on my knees, and I was praying. And then I, um, and, and when I was done, I was like, what's next? What's my next step? And the Lord, I just felt the Spirit say, you go through all of the deposits 
that have hit your bank account over this amount of time, and you calculate up what's the amount of money that should come my way? What kind of treasure should be invested? And I was like, okay, Lord. I mean, I did. I got right then. Like, this is like my allocated time to sermon prep, which I don't have a lot of discretionary time. But I'm like, okay, Lord, we're doing it. I'm going through all of our accounts. I'm calculating the money. I come up like to the penny. I'm like, not, I am not messing with the Lord. I come up with the amount of money. I was like, okay. Now, my husband's out of the country. And I was like, ooh. But I sent him a text and I was like, so a few things. Number one, I need to confess to you that I have not been giving the amount of money that we have felt the Lord has asked us to give over these amount of months, and I want to ask your forgiveness. Second, I believe this is the amount of money the Lord's asking us to give. We need to give it today. And um, he responded right away. He was like, absolutely, give it. And, and I'm sorry that we haven't been doing our regular check-ins, right? And so I, I got online. I enter all my information. I'm ready to give. And all I have to do now is push pay. And I'm telling you, it was like this. But Lord, you know we got three cars with over 200,000 miles on them. And Lord, you know we got two kids in college. And Lord, you know that I know we're going to have this big expense coming. And it was just this like silent, sweet voice from the Lord that just said, trust me. Push the button. I pushed the button, and it was like this instant weight was lifted. And I was back in alignment with the Father and in obedience. So clearly, this sermon was really just for me. Maybe God has something for you too. (laughs) But this whole journey was for me, right? Can you imagine what Brandon goes through every week? (laughs) I'm like, Lord. Um, So listen, in these verses, here's what's really interesting. Jesus is telling us to store up treasure. He says, store it up. And where you choose to store it is so crazy important because it actually determines where your heart will be. Store it up, and man, it's important where you're storing it because your heart will be there. And it's interesting to note that biblical authors, they, they knew the heart, right, as an organ, and they considered it the center of all things. They didn't have a word or knowledge of the brain. So, so the heart was the place where you think and you make sense of the world. And in the Bible, it's, it's where you feel all of your emotions, you know, in short, it's, it's when they're saying, when Jesus is saying here, there your heart will be also. It's like your whole person, your whole existence. Where your treasure is, that is where you will be connected. So what is this treasure that Jesus is talking about? The most obvious answer, and what it was in my case when he spoke to me, was money and possessions, our riches, Right? But it would be remiss to not acknowledge that those things often represent something else in our lives. If I dig deep, for me it was, I'm feeling fear, feel out of control, and I'm not trusting you to provide and carry us. There's other things, right? For some of us, our treasure is the esteem and approval of others, which is often connected to financial success. And so as you wrestle over these passages this week with the Lord, it's, it's a wise question to ask him, what is it that is my treasure? Like, what is that thing that it's like, I really am invested in that? But for the purposes of this morning, I'm really going to hone in on our riches, on our money, and on our possessions. 
So Jesus gives us two investment options. Store it up on earth or store it up in heaven. And then he's really clear about what happens in both cases, right? Store it up on earth and moth and rust will destroy and thieves will break in and steal. Moth here could represent kind of the natural corrosion, right? The natural things that happen um, to our to our possessions. If you think about rust, this is something that happens over time. And don't just think like something being destroyed. Think to like something goes out of fashion, right? Or like, why did I think these blue Fomica countertops were a good idea 10 years ago? It's like things, things are no longer hold the same value that they had, right? Time reduces their value. And then thieves representing kind of humanity's corrosion. My, um, I mean, the Lord gave me a living lesson in this. My mom passed away 15 years ago from cancer, and I'm her only child. And when she passed away, I flew out to California where I'm from, and my dad and I were going through all of her things. And from the time I was little, I mean, my earliest memories of my mom, my mom always wore the same jewelry. She had really nice jewelry, but she never changed it out. Does that make sense? Like, I'm like constantly with a new pair of $10 earrings. My mom had like nice diamonds. She had this beautiful necklace that was, had this beautiful pendant that my dad had designed. She had beautiful rings, her watches. I mean, and, and I just, I even remember as a little girl, like trying on her rings, we put the bracelet on and just beautiful jewelry, expensive jewelry. I'm not much of a jewelry wearer, but I was honored to have my mother's jewelry. And so we brought it back home and we put it into a safe. It's just not something I was going to wear often. And um, then Christian's parents, were go- or grandparents, were going to celebrate a significant anniversary. And we were all out to dinner. I was like, oh, this is a perfect time, right? I got all the jewelry out and I wore it. And, um, and it was lovely. And I felt like my mom was with me. And I put it all back in the box. And I, uh, we were leaving out of town to visit some friends in Ohio the next day. And I just left it in my room. Of course, the next night, you know where this is going. I get a call from our alarm company. Our alarm's going off. And the police show up, and sure enough, a pane of glass in our back door had been broken out. Someone had been in. The police checked the house. No one's in there. And my neighbor, Nora, you know, neighbors, you're like all outside, like, why are the police here? What's going on? So she's talking to the police, and they're like, we don't know if anything's taken. And she's like, oh, I'll walk through the house. So she called me. She's like, I'm walking with the police. And she's like, I don't see anything. There's nothing turned over. There's nothing gone. It all looks fine. And I was like, Nora, we just go up to my bedroom and look on my dresser and tell me if there's a jewelry box. She went up and she was like, I'm so sorry. Gone. It was gone. And immediately this verse came to my mind. Treasure in heaven where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus actually calls the one who stores treasure on earth a fool. There's a, um, a parable, actually in my Bible, it's titled The Parable of the Rich Fool in Luke. And this is what it says. Jesus is teaching, right? There's a big crowd and someone in the crowd is like, teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. And Jesus is like, whoa, who appointed me judge over you two? And then he said, watch out. Like, come on, this is Jesus. He's telling us, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not the abundance of one's possessions. And then he told this parable. You know it, it's familiar. There's this rich man whose land was super productive. 
so productive that, that his barns were just too small. So he thought to himself, what should I do? I just don't have anywhere to store this abundant amount of crops. Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down these little tiny barns. I'm going to build big barns. I'm going to store up all my grain and all my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods, and you have many years to enjoy these goods that you have stored. Take it easy. Sit back, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says, that's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Choosing to store up treasures on earth is correlated with greed. And it matters to God what we do with the things that he's entrusted to us. Uh, many people, we were, our family was just in Boston, and we walked by the church where it said Charles Dickens read for the very first time um, a Christmas, the Christmas Carol. And many people think that Scrooge is based off of this parable of the rich fool. It's like you guys can picture it like Scrooge <laughs> with all his money, right? And he's like horrible to everyone else, and he's like just counting his money that he treasures. And um, sometimes those caricatures are really helpful for us to kind of get an image of what God's talking about. But sometimes they, are, um, they can be difficult in helping us to see ourselves in the story. Actually, your own reference group can make it difficult sometimes, right? If you're in a group and you're like, well, I mean, I have a nice house, but it's not as nice as Bill. So, you know, I'm okay. I'm not the rich fool. Um, it's important when we read the scriptures about wealth and riches, that we consider ourselves in light of God's children, all of them. That's the globe, right? So consider some of these statistics. I've got them up on a slide. Um, a single adult in the United States earning $30,000 a year is in the richest 4.7% of the global population. A U.S. couple with one child making $75,000 a year is in the richest 3.7% of the global population. Family of six making $100,000, top 5.8%, 9.6 times more wealthy than the global median. These, these numbers come from a site called How Rich Am I? So you can always just go there and plug in. What do you make? What's your household look like? The World Bank states that um, nearly half of the world population, 47%, live on less than $6.85 a day. And extreme poverty grew during the pandemic, during 2020. So we almost have 10%. It's like 9.7% of people live on less than $2.50 a day. When our um, team that you saw up here was part of our team was getting ready to go to Nicaragua, we had some training by Alec Mandela who serves as one of our global um, missions deacons. And one of the activities he had us do was to add up how much money we were wearing. Like, and I was thinking, this is no problem. I am not really the clothes. I spend very little money. I think, I, so that day I'm feeling good about how it's gonna go for me. I'm like, Costco dress, $14. Good, <laughs> right? But then I'm like, okay, Birkenstocks, 120. Oh, my eyeglasses that are prescription, right, 200. My earrings, $30 that day. My purse, 120. 
I had not gotten to my wedding rings or my phone, which Alec asked us to include because they're always on us. I was wearing thousands of dollars on my person that day. Listen, I am the rich man that the Lord talks about, and maybe you are too. And so we have got to really take seriously what he says about what we do with our money and our possessions. Jim Elliott's like one of my favorite missionary stories. Look it up if you don't know about it. But he says this thing, and it haunts me all the time. He said, he is no fool. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. And that's Jesus's financial advice to us, right? Store up your treasure in heaven where it will never be destroyed. Tozer has this super cool um, teaching on the transmutation of wealth. And here's just something, this is like a little piece of what he says about it. As base a thing as money often is, it can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry, right? Clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Is that not the most amazing thing ever to think about? It's unbelievable. We hand God our earthly treasure and he miraculously changes it into everlasting treasure. I wanna share a few examples, like put some skin on this. Like, how have I seen or experienced this happen? There's a gentleman in our church named Matthew Roars who um, leads an organization called Synapis. And Synapis is actually the word that um, represents the mustard seed, right? So what Synapis does is what the mustard seed does. It starts really small, and then it grows into this massive, massive thing that provides um, for those that it touches. And that's what Synapis does with entrepreneurs. Here's a slide that shares a diagram of what they do. So they're a movement of kingdom entrepreneurs around the globe. They equip people to be entrepreneurs. They help them from the seed stage as it's growing, who then build kingdom businesses, who grow the local economy, who transform business and culture, right, and the society they're living in, who make disciples who multiply. This is awesome. This is amazing. Look at, I, I pulled this slide from their website, the next one. This is some of their social impact, some of what's happened. One of the things that I love the most that this says is, um, there's a stat that says 83% of alumni said that they refused to accept or give a bribe as part of their business. That might not sound like a big deal here in the US. That's a huge deal globally. Like you're giving money to Synapis, people are learning about Jesus and how to live, and they're choosing to change their society by not continuing to have practices that are unethical. It's amazing. 59% report new followers of Christ through their business. It's amazing to see what happens when we give some money to God. He changes it into these things that can never, ever be lost. Next slide is a, a kiddo from Nicaragua that I got to meet named Edgar. 
And Edgar is in the special needs program. He's mostly non-communicative. And I sat and talked with his mom, and she was telling me about Edgar. He's, um, in addition to some of his developmental needs, he's, he's got like these tumors all over his body, and where the tumor is, the bones are super fragile. So they continuously have to have surgeries to remove the tumor. And, um, and you know, she's, she's like, he's never once complained. He's just patient and sweet, but he's always been a sad child. But then they found this school and this program, and she said his life has been transformed. He has friends. He is excited. She said he hates when it's, it's break. When there's no school, he's so sad. Wants to be at school. He loves being there. She said this last surgery, a bunch of his teachers showed up at the hospital. She showed me pictures of Edgar in a play, um, pictures of his 15th birthday, and she's showing me on his phone, and he was just lighting up and pointing. Um, so, so uh, uh, Jim and Lisa in our church sponsor Edgar. I gave him a letter from them and their picture. You can see him holding the picture. He like hugged the picture, just hugged the picture. Jim and Lisa give $50 a month. Edgar experiences joy, community, um, education that's helping him become more independent. It ripples out to his parents and to his family. Do you see what Christ does? It's amazing. Our family served on the mission field um, in Mexico City um, a few years ago, and the organization we went with was called One Mission Society. And as we were receiving our training, we learned that part of, the, um, part of what this mission agency does is they really focus on training nationals, national workers within a country, to plant churches, to create disciples, and they, they really believe that that's how the Lord is spreading the gospel, right? What was amazing to me is that they said that program was entirely funded by one, by one um, business. Uh, there's a man named Stanley Tam, who actually just died this year at the uh, age of 107. Um, Stanley, as a young man, heard the Lord say, I want your business. Stanley was passionate about making money and passionate about winning, winning souls for Christ. He's like, those two come together. He legally created documents to give the Lord his business. Legally. And in addition to the business giving money, which equated to millions and millions of dollars a year, he and his wife, this is like such a challenge to me, he and his wife decided on how much was enough. How much, you know, uh, I read this quote once by John Rockefeller. He was the first American billionaire. A reporter was like, hey, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And he's like, just a little more. But instead, Stanley Tam and his wife said, we can live off of this forever. Anything else we're paid, go into the kingdom. This next slide shows you in 2021, this, the company's called US Plastics. You probably see it if you ever drive through Ohio. It's um, in Lima, Ohio. But these are some of the stats in 2021, the millions of dollars that they donated around the globe to these national teams they're working. Here's what happened. 100% of their yearly dividends going to this work. Right here in our own church, um, I know lots, several of you yesterday actually served with Poor House. A lot of you give your money or your possessions or your time to go and help people in our city who have been experiencing homelessness once they receive housing to, to just fill their home with furniture and with all of the household items they need. Listen to me. When someone has a chair to sit in instead of the floor, that gives dignity. When they have a bed to lie in, we're giving them honor. What we're saying is like, you matter. God sees you. You're important. Like your old chair that you no longer want, 
God can take it and change it into that. It's awesome. So what do we do? Jesus is really, really clear that he desires us, he desires us to um, involve him in our treasure. And so for all of us, an invitational practice is just go to him and, and be real honest with him and talk to him about your treasure and ask him what he wants you to do. Maybe like me, you're gonna receive some correction. Maybe like me, you're gonna receive some freedom. But take some time to go to the Lord and involve him in your money and your possessions. A base practice. If you're like, this whole giving to the Lord, investing treasure in heaven is new to me, that's okay. Or if it's newer. Here's, here's a base practice for you. Start to start to invest in heaven in a way that aligns with God's heart. And a really, really wise place to start is with giving to the poor. I mean, the scriptures are laden with Jesus's heart for the poor. In Matthew 19, we read about a young man who says to Jesus, you know, how, how shall I live? And Jesus replies, go sell your possessions and give everything to the poor. Get this, Jesus says, all of your wealth will be in heaven. Transmutation. And then come follow me. He's clear that when we give to the poor, we're storing treasure in heaven. You have an opportunity today as you leave, there are students in Nicaragua who would love to have a sponsor that they know is praying for them, providing for them. And join us, join us on Saturdays and come see what's happening in our city through the Welcome Home Team with Poor House. These are, these are baby steps. If you want more ideas, we've got them. But just, just uh, remember the invitation that, that the Lord gave in Micah, test him and see if he doesn't open up the floodgates. Actually, I'll mention this, that day that I was like, Ugh, pay, and I was like, freedom. My, um, my discipleship group sent me a text, I mean, moments after, and they were like, hey, we just ordered a bunch of food from Costco for you. It's being delivered at six. And I was like, what? It was amazing. It's like, thank you, Lord. What? Treasure from heaven. Okay, reach practice. If you're someone who's like, hey, we are investing in heaven, praise God, here's an invitation for you. Think about giving sacrificially. There's a line that you all just said when we did our giving liturgy, right? Every week, it like gives me a lump in my throat. It says this, to spend everything on ourselves and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that our Father cannot abide. I've thought a lot about where's this coming from? Where's the scriptural basis for this sacrificial giving? And the Lord led me to a story in Mark 12. Jesus is with his disciples, right? He sits down opposite the place where the offerings were being put. And he's watching the crowds put their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And so Jesus is like, hey, come here, guys. I'm gonna tell you something. The poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave in sacrifice, all she had to live on. What are your two copper coins? And how can you store them up 
in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, will you just give us wisdom and joy and excitement as you invite us to partner with you, as we steward the treasures that you have entrusted to us. Help us, Lord, to be wise, to store up treasure in heaven and to trust you to take what we offer and to use it for your glory and for eternal purposes. Be glorified in our handling of our money and our possessions, we pray in your holy name. Amen.